HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Vertera Dinnerware. Learn more at vertera.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-R-R-A dot com. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership of $500 value is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Welcome to Reopening Soon. Uh, we wanted to start this episode today with a PSA you've no doubt heard but worth repeating. Wear a fucking mask. Wear one for you. Wear one for your neighbor. Wear one for your spouse, for your kids, for your parents. Wear one because you're a leader. Wear one because you're a follower. Wear one because you're a role model. Wear one because you're a chef model. Wear one because you like Trump. Wear one because you hate Trump. Wear one because you respect others, because you respect yourself. Wear one because you like restaurants. Wear one because we all like restaurants. Wear one because we need to reopen our restaurants. Whatever your reason, wear a fucking mask. There's a lot more to consider when reopening a restaurant um, and your business to just when the local government says it's okay to do so. Namely, it's your health, your family's health, the safety of your staff and their health. And so, so, so much more. Um, Our guest today knows a lot about the health of their family um, and actually has experienced COVID herself. We have Leah Cohen and Ben, um, chef and owners of some of our favorites, our our neighborhood restaurant that is very local to our business, um, Pig and Cow and also Piggyback Bar here in New York City. Leah is the chef and Ben runs the operations for the business, if you're not familiar with them. Um, And we are just so excited to have you guys here. We have missed you deeply seeing you guys around. Um, And Leah, I just want to start off by saying so sorry to hear about the loss of your father. Thank you. I read. So it's, I know that's, was really hard for you and your family and our thoughts are, are definitely with you guys. Um, Thanks for being here. So you wrote about it and yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so I know you're like in the midst of getting your restaurant reopening. I hear construction in the yeah, background. Sorry, they keep um, opening the door, even though I'm like, <laughs> please stop opening the door. We need it to be quiet. 
It's totally normal. No worries. This is like real life right now. It's like you are trying to actually reopen your business and figure out what that is going to look like. So I know you wrote a piece in in Grub Street a couple weeks ago where I cried through reading most of it um, about some of the reasons why, you know, now is the right time. But tell us like what you guys have been up to and and how you have reopened Pig and Cow for now. Um, I mean, so... Pig and Cow was, we reopened it last week um, on Wednesday and it's been slow. Um, I think we have to, you know, we haven't really gotten the word out that we are reopened. Um, We wanted to take it slow because we just want to take every precaution that we can to make sure, you know, that for the safety of our customers and the safety of our staff. Um, And we were closed from March 15th till last week. So um, it will take some time to get the word out. But, you know, we definitely thought that it was worth trying to reopen. Um, We might have a different opinion in a few months from now. (laughs) We'll see. Um, But, you know, as I I said in the Grub Street article, you know, my father, um, he was the main investor at Pig & Cow. And he was really... I want to say not only um, the main investor, but he was like the mascot and the the, the cheerleader for our restaurant. Um, so, you know, obviously it's important for me and his honor to try to do whatever we can to make um, Pig and Cow successful. And, um, you know, it's eight, it'll be eight years in September of our lives. So it's not, you know, we're not ready to give up on it quite yet. So... <laughs> I mean, that's, and you shouldn't, I mean, that's no small feat. Most restaurants don't make it past two years and you know, you're, you guys are eight years in and like a staple on Clinton street and everybody, you know, knows and and loves, loves the restaurant. Um, so tell us about like the new form that, that you've taken with it and, and how you guys came to that decision of that. It'll be as takeout windows, sort of like street food style. Yeah, so it's a uh, bad. I'll sorry, I'll, I'll go and then you can add whatever you'd like. Um, we decided to do a takeout window. We weren't sure if phase three was when we were going to reopen, if phase three was going to allow indoor dining. Um, we weren't comfortable doing that yet. We didn't want to be the first restaurant um, to do, you know, one of the first restaurants to do it, um, which now, you know, we made the right decision because it's not allowed. Um, so it's basically a, a window that you come up. It used to be our waiting area, um, and we put a window in, and you just come up and order. And then um, we have some out some seats and tables outside, where it's basically like there is no server, um, so it's as minimal contact as possible, and it just allows people to um, eat their food there if they don't want to, you know, take it home and bring it home or travel with it. So. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've always wanted to do more like street food stuff. We had like a street food concept and like some of the food at Pink Cow is street food inspired. But we figured we'll start the menu off really small um, because we don't know how big of a demand there is quite yet. So the smaller menu, the less um, food waste we have. And um, we just wanted to do kind of like, you know, staples and things that people know and are familiar with. And then as we get busier, we'll expand the menu. And we felt like it, this was a way um, not, not to knock anyone that's doing service to, at the tables that they have outside, but we felt like this was a way that we could give our staff a little bit more distance from the patrons 
um, have a little bit less staff here and also do something that was fun and different. I mean, we tried to, or not tried, but are trying to, as we continue to build it out, uh, like bring a Thai street food vibe to it. I mean, even like the tables and chairs that we picked are like colorful stools and, you know, like folding tables as opposed to like trying to class it up. It, it feels more like, you know, you're ordering from a street cart in Bangkok and then you like go seat yourself at a table. This episode is brought to you by Vertera. Impressively versatile, stylishly sustainable, environmentally disposable dinnerware from Fallen Leaves. Vertera is a mission-driven company focused on making environmentally responsible single-use products. Founded in 2006 on the belief that every culinary creation deserves a beautiful, sustainably crafted foundation. Vertera reclaims earthly discards like fallen leaves and tree scraps to design elegant, disposable dinnerware that elevates the look of food presentation. In short, a beautiful disposable plate that can go with your food to a composting facility. The team from Vertera recently made a huge pivot with their factories and started producing masks, gloves, sanitizer, and other PPE that food businesses need to safely reopen. Learn more at Vertera.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-R-R-A.com. We were there the other day and, and, and noticed that the bike lanes, are, which are now crowded for good reason, um, hit one side of the street, whereas the other side now gets these like big, beautiful spaces to put all these chairs and tables. How, how are the limitations of what, where you guys are, which is on the opposite of a bike lane, and sort of limiting what the city has now added on for um, outdoor seating? How is that working with all that? Well, just like a lot of... Um the way that things have played out on a uh, national level, state level, local level, like there's a good amount of guidance for some things. And then there's like virtually no guidance. So the only guidance that they've given with regards to bike lanes is like, don't build one of those patios in the bike lane. Um, So we, uh, we had our contractors come in and build a platform to kind of level our sidewalk and it um, it has a support in the bike lane, but we, we made sure like not to actually go into and infringe upon the bike lane. Um, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. One is like, wow, these people have these giant setups and you know we, we unfortunately are one of the only restaurants on all three blocks of Clinton Street in this area that are on our side of the street on the east side of the street. so we don't we don't get to have that but, from the other side, I mean, I think for what we wanted to do, what we've built kind of almost fits better. You know, it's the the idea of the giant street patio, I guess we could call it, whatever you want to call that thing, uh, it, it, that lends itself very <laughs> it, it, much yeah. to like outdoor <laughs> service. But we, we weren't necessarily interested right. in doing outdoor service. So I think like for, for our, our concept here, um, it, it works out just fine. I think that one of the issues, though, that, that is rough that a lot of people are facing, and I've seen like Eater and other um, publications touch on it, is that, you know, aside from the city making 
new rules all the time and then trying to enforce them and, and, and us all trying to have to figure them out. I mean, there's also just, you know, people. People are calling 311 and saying they don't like the way this is, but there, there's no standard set of rules. So it's like, you're calling 311 on me, but like, I don't, I don't know if you know if it's wrong or if it's right, let alone if I know or if the city even knows, you know, because they're making <laughs> up a new rule every other day. It's like the wild fucking west out there. Yep. I mean, I know. And it's like, and businesses are hurting so much. It's just like, if it's really not dangerous, just let it go. I mean, if that's like the story of COVID though. It's like, there's been zero clear guidance until it's too late kind of thing. Yep. Um, so the other thing, obviously you just mentioned your contractor and you're doing construction. So like, there's a real financial burden too, to restaurants to like figure out how to convert their space. Like tell us what kind of work you guys have had to do in order to, you know, reconfigure for this new model. So we, um, like Leah said, we re- we took out the front window on the side that was the waiting area and replaced that with a window that opens. Um, and then we took out all of the benches in the waiting area and turned it into um, like a bar height top so that we could have like a station for the, the window, for the staff in the window. Um, we also boxed in the open kitchen because at some point when indoor dining does return, we anticipate that either the city is going to tell us that a kitchen that is as open as ours is not kosher, or that people are just not going to be comfortable with it, whether or not you know they, they say it's legal or not. Uh, and now we're in the process of building those platforms to level the sidewalk so that we can actually put tables and chairs and then we had to purchase the tables and chairs. And, um, and then the next step is kind of trying to add some design elements outside that are not crazy cost prohibitive so that it, it feels like something like our vibe. The open kitchen thing is interesting. I haven't, I hadn't even really thought about how that would play. Yeah, I mean, our kitchen was so open. It was in the middle of the dining room, so. I know, it's my my favorite seat in the house, though. That's that's the general norm now. It it really, um, (laughs) it's weird. My heart just broke a little bit for you. Well, so we have plexiglass, so you can still fully see into the kitchen. And then, um, like, the top isn't closed, but, like, the wall, like, the sides are. So, um, because if we, like, completely, completely enclosed it, it would be, like, way too hot for the staff. But um, we're going to have an artist come and, like, you know, do some fun stuff to, like, the white walls that we built. But you can still see in the kitchen, which was really important to us. So it's, like, you can see it's still kind of the same vibe, but um, just safer. Are you – and there's not going to be seats anywhere? Because you had, like, a bar top, basically, in your open kitchen where you would – The bar top does still exist. Um, I guess at some rate people will probably be able to sit at it, but – you know, probably le- obviously less people. Um, yeah, and like, I mean, that's virtually unchanged. It's just that, you know, now that it's, it's literally like we took a box and put it around the kitchen and the front of the box, the part that's facing the, the bar seats is a 36-inch high piece of plexiglass um, with a frame around it so that people can still at least see in the kitchen and we don't lose that 
Wow. I mean, it's, I didn't even think, like, as Alex said, we've, you know, we've been talking to a lot of people through the course of the show and just through like our, our friends who are chefs and restaurateurs. And you're the first ones I think that I've heard talk about, like, this could be regulated, um, the open kitchens and that will dramatically change design. And it's like what restaurant in New York city right now does. Yeah. It's going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of restaurants. I, I feel like. And that's why we did it. Like, we already had the contractors here doing a bunch of work. Smart. And originally, I was going to table it. And I was just like, you know what? If you guys are here, just do this. Yeah, we might as well be ready, you know, when when it happens, when indoor dining does happen, if it happens. Who knows if that's even happening? Maybe we're just maybe we're just going to eat outside in the winter. But it's, it's so <laughs> weird for us because we're, like, literally, you know, cooking rice upstairs on, like, tables 20. <laughs> one through 25 and then we're like packing we have all of our like to-go containers and packing everything it's just like a very weird um different situation that it it just feels weird you know our entire dining room has become the biggest qsr kitchen in the world (laughs) i think every i think i we've yeah that's i think we've heard that a couple times it's just like my dining room now contains a shit ton of like to-go containers and uh, it's storage. But um, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. Are you guys already making plans about what you're, you know, what you will do in the winter or are you sort of taking it like week by week? What's your, what's your, yeah, I mean, we're, we're really a, because we don't like what is there to make plans about and B for our own sanity. We're, we're trying to be, just like very present in what we need to do right now, because I mean, there's there's almost no point in talking about you know what's going to happen next month, next week, or next year because like we, we have no idea. You know, I mean, at the rate we're going, there's probably going to be seventy thousand cases in Florida tomorrow. Talk to us a little. We've we've talked about pig and cow, which is on Clinton Street, Lower East Side, reopening, sort of, I guess. Um, but piggyback, your other restaurant is in Midtown. It's got probably a high, I'm guessing, business clientele, but then also event clientele from Madison Square Garden, two of which don't exist at all. Where what's what's the story there? Um, so, on top of all of the things that you just mentioned, the block that piggyback is on has a very large police station. Um, and during the protests uh, or the height of the protests, they decided to close said block. And now the block is currently closed still. Um, So, yeah, I mean, as if there wasn't enough reasons for us to not reopen right now, um, there's that condition. So... uh, I mean, that's makes it basically that's it's impossible to reopen. I mean, in that regard, um, like I'm not even sure if we were doing delivery services. If I, I, I am sure, actually, if if a driver came in a car, not on a bike, to come pick up, they would not let them down the street. So, yeah, um, and and Does our, the city our, do compensate for that in any way. We're gonna have to file like a. Uh, business interruption claim with our insurance company. With the city, or with the insurance company. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we're we're. Our other thought was also like 
what we hear from obviously most people who work in offices is like that their office is saying like, we don't even have a desire for you to return before the end of the summer, no matter what, because you know, some summer Fridays and summer Mondays and half days on Wednesdays and whatever it is <laughs> and in a rate in a regular environment. And now it's like, Oh, we just figured out that you guys can all work from home and be productive. So please don't come to the office. Like we're, we're closed. Uh, luckily we're in a situation there where we are partners with the people that own the building and they have been nothing but completely supportive throughout the entire process. That's really, yeah, that's really fortunate to hear. I mean, I think one thing that's really been clear is like your landlord can be a partner in this or they can be your like worst enemy, essentially. Um, you know, so that's reassuring to hear. What And how's the situation with your landlord on Clinton Street, Ben, given that you've been there for so Frankly, long? Frankly. He's been great, actually. Yes, based on his the history of the company and some things, we kind of expected that it would be a, a difficult situation and a fight, but he has been extremely supportive and, and and really great. And actually, in eight years, I think that neither of us have ever had an interaction with him because it's it's a big company. Um, and he called me personally, and I spoke to him on the phone, and that was a few months ago. And he was very supportive and was like, you know, just do whatever you can and just keep me keep me in the loop and. Um, I, I have heard stories that are completely the opposite of that from, from some people. That's, you know, that's amazing too. Um, all right. So I just, I do want to talk about something else that has been, has like really impacted Alex and I. And, um, so you guys also have a young baby, beautiful Carter, who is about the same age as our youngest baby. And for us, I don't know, it's been a challenge balancing childcare and business, you know, especially during like the height of the pandemic and you guys are both business owners and, you know, heavily involved in your business. And also you have this kid at home. So I'm curious to hear from like a restaurateur's perspective, how, how that has impacted your reopening plans and how the whole childcare situation has played into all of this. Yeah. I mean, you know, during, during the pandemic, when we were shut down, um, we did not have our nanny with us um, because she's a she's like a Monday through Friday live in, and so you know we went from having someone who like you know cleaned for us and took care of the baby to then like just we're fully like reimmersed in you know baby and cleaning and all of that stuff, which in the beginning was I mean for the most part it was amazing because like I don't know you know I, I wouldn't have been able to you know spend that much time with him. And I, it, it's been a little hard for me going back to work and not seeing him as much. Um, but, you know, we wanted to, we knew that we couldn't reopen without a nanny. Um, and so we, you know, waited till the cases in New York were much, much lower and it was safer for her to come back, you know, to work with us because she is, she does take the bus um, to get to us. She lives in Westchester near my parents or my mom. And so um, she has to take a train and a bus to get to us. And, but she, I mean, we made sure she got tested. She's getting tested once a month. Um, she obviously knows she has to wear a mask and gloves when she's on the train and then like immediately change her clothes when she comes in and wash her hands and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, there is no way that we could reopen without 
having someone look after our son because um, we are we're here like all the time now. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I think it's going to be a really big challenge. Like we've, you know, we struggled a lot with our two kids and like, you know, not having childcare for the first part. I was, we were like getting, we were like trying to balance work, watching the kids and they're, they are a full-time job. I mean, people who work in their home really do work in their home. And it's like, we couldn't fully dedicate time until our childcare came back. And I just, I do worry about what it's going to be in the fall if people can't get their kids into school and, um, and have to work. It's really, it's a challenge. Yeah. I mean, lucky for us, Carter's only 10 months. So like we don't have to even, you know, have that debate um, about are we going to put our kid back in school because he's just too young, um, thankfully, because I don't know. I I don't think I would feel comfortable at this point. Um, But, you know, we don't have to make that decision. Thank God. So, yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, you mentioned like your child caregivers getting tested. Tell us about how that worked with like your staff and your team when you were bringing people back. Did you? Oh yeah. We made everyone get tested. So one of the reasons why it took us so long, um, to reopen was, um, even though the cases were going down in New York, I was still testing positive for like six weeks. Um, even though I like didn't have symptoms, I, I have like super antibodies, I guess, or something. I don't know. Um, so I wanted to wait till, um, till I tested negative twice. Um, and then Ben got like four tests and he never tested positive, but we made sure that all of our staff got tested, um, before they were allowed to work. Um, my sous chef actually went to Georgia, um, before it was like a quarantine state. Um, so she is actually, she tested negative, but she still has to do the 14 days. So she starts next week. Um, and yeah, I'm going to make everyone get tested once a month. I mean, I think to do it more is a little, is asking a lot. Um, especially since like the results take like a week to, um, to get now. I don't know why it's taking longer than it used to. I guess more people are getting tested, which is good. Um, but yeah, so everyone has to get tested. Um, no one, if, if anyone has symptoms there, which no one has so far, um, obviously they're not allowed to, to work. Um, and everyone has to wear a mask. We have sanitizers, uh, a sanitizer here. I mean, we're trying to be as, um, as cautious and safe as possible because I know firsthand how terrible uh, the, the virus can be to, um, to, to anyone who is affected by it, but you know, whether they, they get it or whether someone that they, you know, in their family gets it. So it's a lot of responsibility. I think that, you know, aside from, um, you know, the obvious responsibility of someone getting sick, it's, you know, it's, it can be an immediate reflection of how you're, you know, you're operating your restaurant to your, to the customer base. You know, I think it's, it's scary. And I think taking it seriously like you're doing is, is really smart. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we had um, a general ma- assistant general manager that we wanted to bring back. And he said he has um, what then? What is he? He has asthma. Oh, diabetic. So um, so he didn't feel comfortable. And we're like, yeah, of course. You know, like we also are like we're asking people if they want to come back. And if they if they don't feel comfortable, we're, we would never force someone or report them to unemployment (laughs) um i mean if you don't feel comfortable and that's that's one of the other reasons that we 
decided to operate in the format that we're operating in so that we didn't have this crazy pressure to fully staff the restaurant or even, you know, I would say that we're not even partially staffed at this point. We're like at such a low level, it's below partially. Um, so that like we didn't have to try to call people and force them or guilt them into coming back. It's like, this is a very personal thing, aside from how the show started with wear a fucking mask, because I, I agree that is not personal. That's not your choice. Um, but the other part of it, like how much how much you're willing to risk by going out and who's who you interact with in your life and who you live with and all of those things are extremely personal and you know if, if you don't feel comfortable um then we, we aren't going to try to make you come to work when it's a situation of literal either life and death or health yeah, and, and I think the way that you guys set up the restaurant, I mean, just from having have been there, it did feel like it was very minimal contact and you, you know, you can run it on a very lean, um, on a very lean crew, it seems like. So I, and I think that's really like it's showing that you respect your team and your patrons, which I think hopefully people will, will value in and of itself. Um, so yeah, so, so congrats on setting that up. You know, it's, it's just like such a crazy time. Have you, so you've had people who basically were just not comfortable coming back. Have you had people who are like, you know, really ready and, um, and like dying to come back to work? Yeah, we've had, you know, we've had like one of my, uh, my chef de cuisine was like, I texted him and I was like, Hey, um, we're planning on reopening this day. If you, you know, if you want to come back, we would love to have you back. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Like he's been waiting. <laughs> so that was really nice. He's been with us for like five years. And then I have another line. I mean, right now it's, um, two sous chefs, but one who's starting next week and then one line cook and me. So we, and then it's Ben and Faye, who is our general manager, and we have two prep guys, and that's it. Um, so it's really, really very small crew. Um, next week, we start working with um, this company called Cook Unity, and it's basically like prepared meals that get delivered to your um, to your door and. It's, um, they do, they handle all the delivery and they, um, added on, I want to say like six quote unquote all-star chefs. So it's like me, Esther Choi, um, JJ is doing it, but I don't know when he is signing on, um, Cedric Von Richten, Octar, I forgot his last name. So, um, you Jean can get George. like Jean-Georges Von Richten is, is doing that. Um, so I think we'll probably get like one or two more staff to like help with that, um, to like package the meals and everything. Um, but aside from that, we're just kind of taking it slow. We're going to start doing caviar and DoorDash uh, whenever we can reinstate. Um, but our menu is really small. So like, I don't know how, you know, how, how much delivery will do um, given such a small menu, but like, I'm not trying to put more stuff on the menu until we actually do some business. Cause like the last thing I want to do is waste money on throwing out food or obviously we wouldn't throw it out. We would give it to people, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to just have 
tons of product here and not go through it. I mean, it, and so. that's something that happened on July 3rd, like when they, when in New York City, when they changed the rule of the 50%, it's a lot of people had already bought product to start reopening their dining rooms 50%. And then on July 3rd, you know, they said, no, you can't do that on July 6th. And people are like, great. I just spent thousands of dollars restocking the walk-in. Um, I mean, it's. It was even, it was even worse of a situation in New Jersey because I think that it was like, something crazy like they were supposed to give them the go ahead the, the, the date was a thursday and i think that they told them like at night on tuesday so like they were they were like fully ready to go so i i think your strategy of planning for the for the next 24 hours is uh, probably the best the best <laughs> one it all circles back to that um that's that's really cool the um the meal delivery so tell us the name of that website again it's called Cook Unity. Cook Unity. And you order like delivered meals yeah. the week in advance. Is that how it works? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like subscription. Books. Smart. Yeah. Smart, smart. So it's literally like everything's and it has a nutritional value. Um, and it's literally like pop it in the microwave or in the oven. And it's cool because, you know, you get um, they have their own like chefs that they've been using because I'm not sure how long the company's been around for. I think it's been a couple of years. Um but now, you know, they're tapping into like restaurant chefs. So it's like, you know, especially during a pandemic when you can't or you don't feel comfortable going to the restaurant, it can literally get delivered to your door. And it's I think it's affordable. Um, and I think it's and actually then, more affordable than. The meals are great, too. Yeah. Like we, we've, they've been sending us the meals and we've been eating them at home. And they're, it's, it's really well done. It also, I'm sure that whether my wife is an extremely talented chef or not, I'm sure everyone is in a situation where like they're a little tired of the, okay, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? Because like every night is the, you know, the same thing. You either have to figure out what to cook or figure out like what you're ordering out. And like, yes, now people can dine out a little bit on the street patios. Um, but it, this does take like some of the guesswork out of it because, you know, the meals are uh, typically um, dated that they're good for a week and, you know, you get a week's worth and, you know, this way it's like one night you can order out, but like the next night, you know, like, oh, we have like a few cooked meat unity meals and it still like gives you some variety until you're down to the end of your week's worth, you know? Smart. I mean, I think that's the other thing we're seeing happening is like chefs are now, you know, now you're having to run like multiple businesses or be take part in multiple like channels in order to, you know, still reach your, your normal customers. Um, I think that's, that's a very cool thing. Awesome. Um, well, at this point in the show, anything else you want to share or think like our listeners should know about reopening and the process before we do some reopening and opening soon announcements? Um, I mean, uh, ben? Please, please be nice. Like if you go, like everyone is writing these articles about tip 50%. And if you have the ability to tip 50% or tip nicely, that's great. But what everyone has the ability to do and, and something that's free is just be kind. Understand like when you go out, whether you're dealing with the owner of a restaurant or a server or whoever you're dealing with, like, as hard as this has been on everyone, 
Um, these people have a lot of uncertainty still in terms of how our industry is going to be, how their job is going to be. Um, they're trying to learn to do their job that they've done probably their whole lives in a completely different way. They're in kitchens that are wildly hot with masks on, just pushing the hot air back into their face. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that you can do, like tips are nice, but just being kind and being nice and not expecting the world and, you know, being happy that you have the opportunity to dine out again or to have more options and take out food and just saying thank you and smiling behind your mask at people and wearing a mask without a fight, uh, things like that go a long way. I totally agree with that. I mean, Yes. And that, that, and yeah, support small businesses and be nice to everybody because it's true. It's like, I like some of the emails that our customer care has gotten. I'm like, just be nice. We can't control what FedEx does with the packages right now. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's, there's a global pandemic that is affecting every supply chain and every person's job, especially in the, in the, um, in small businesses. And I, yeah, that's so true. Just like a smile and a thank you goes such a long way right now. Um, awesome. Well, we always like to shout out, uh, restaurants that are either opening or reopening. Um, anybody come to mind, any friends or anything going on you guys want to shout out besides obviously pig and cow now reopened on Clinton street and the Lower East side. Um, Esther's Mrs. Hughes on What is that on Orchard? Allen, Allen, Allen street, street just Allen reopened street, just last week. Uh, on Saturday, actually, um, and they have a really cute outdoor space. They're they they're lucky they have parking spaces that they can put outside, um, like tables. So they are reopen or they reopened. Um, Lilia obviously reopened. Um, Vix, which is a special place for Ben and I, because we got married there. They reopened recently. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, those are all good ones. Um, some of our favorites too. I was talking to one of our friends and customers, Chad Rosenthal in Philly, and he's actually opening his third Lucky Well barbecue place in um, in Philly on Friday, which is exciting. He's like very different than he was supposed to have opened six months ago, but it's, it's interesting to see. And um, Franklin Becker actually has an interesting new company called a hundred pleats, which launched last week. And similar to what you were describing with cook unity chefs, um, you know, can interact directly with diners in their homes to give cooking classes or even do like 10 minute consultations. If they're like, I have, you know, an egg and some hot sauce and tortillas in my fridge. What do I make? So, um, check that out as well and just be nice to people um <laughs> be nice yeah special thanks guys to uh Leah and ben for chatting with us and sharing um their sidewalk journey we look forward to hearing more um we'll put a wrap up of today's show until nyc.com we'll also send one to your inbox if you're on our list if not then get on our list um how do we find you guys on social leah ben uh at pig and cow and I'm at Leah S. Cohen. And Ben doesn't really do Instagram. <laughs> you can't find him. He's at the restaurant. Go say hello and be nice. Put a smile. Uh, follow our journey on Heritage Radio anywhere else you get your podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at We Are Opening Soon and at Till at NYC. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Food Radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.